the bad reputation that salespeople have comes from an industry that doesn't have any licensing requirements. Anybody can do it. And the bottom 50% are the ones who ruin it for everybody. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. The guest that I have today is a legend when it comes to training sales forces, building sales teams, making sure that companies are enabling their sales activities in a larger scale. And what I want to talk about today is some of the tools that has been developed by him and his company, Objective Management Group, or OMG. It's an industry leader in sales assessment and sales force evaluation. It's actually been named the top sales assessment tools for over nine years running. And I wanted to discuss here, if you have what it takes to be a top tier salesperson, we're going to talk about some of the traits you can have. What are the tendencies that we see in the people that are great salespeople, maybe dispel some of the myths of what makes a great salesperson and see what you can do to grow yourself. So it is with my great pleasure that I bring Dave Curlin with me on the podcast. Dave, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Now, you have quite the resume. I know you've written several books, including Mindless Selling, which is an interesting title, Baseline Selling, where you actually compare it to baseball. You've also created and wrote Star. You've went and been a motivational speaker, you know, speaking at the Fortune 5000 everywhere. So I'd love to maybe just talk about, you know, since this is a Selling with Love podcast, what made you fall in love with the topic of sales? That's a very interesting question because I grew up an introvert, not just introvert but acute introvert not just shy but like hated people and i was in college and i was being recruited to sell knives door to door and probably half of every group of college kids that ever attended college got recruited to do that and i remember writing no on the survey they gave you after their presentation do you think you could do this no and why? I'm like, I hate people. <laughs> and I remember walking out the door. And I've had several callings in my life, and that was the first one. I was turned around, and I was marched back in. And it felt like it was against my will, but it felt like something I had to do. And I said, I'll do this. And the three years that I did that was so much fun and I broke through so many barriers and I fell in love with selling. Back then I was 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old. And I knew by the time I was 20 that I was having so much success getting other kids to work for me, with me, respond to me, that I was keeping them in the business instead of them quitting after three days. I knew that I would do something with and for salespeople someday. I had set a goal. I was a big goal setter. So I said, by the time I'm 30, I'll be in some business where I'm having some impact on salespeople. So I fell in love with selling. I never really fell in love with people. <laughs> I'd still prefer to sit in a corner by myself. But 
when I'm on, when I'm working, when I'm training, when I'm developing products to assess and evaluate salespeople, I still love selling. I love it. That's a fantastic story. And I think I know the knives that you're speaking about because I remember people walking at my mom's (laughs) door and we still have those knives. They're great knives. So I would be happy selling those knives as well. That's right. They are. (laughs) I still have them too. Nice. And do you still have the sales rep that comes to file them for you? I have to send them back right after the holiday and get them sharpened again. There you go. Another sales engagement there. Well, what I love the most about your story is this reluctance to go into sales, but you kind of got pushed anyways, and then you eventually fell in love with it. And this happens countless times. Like most people I encounter, the first time we start using the word sales, they usually have a negative association with sales, a negative story about whether it's themselves or a friend that got cheated in a sale. In your case, you had all of the traits of an introvert, and most people that I speak to who are introvert or on the more extreme side as you are, sales seems like this distant thing. So what do you think switched? What happened in the process where you pushed through and then you're like, hey, no, actually, I like this? I think there are a few things. First, people were actually paying attention to me. I was a band geek. (laughs) Nobody paid attention to me when I was young. And I was on the tennis team, not the baseball team, the football team, the basketball team. I did the geeky stuff. And when I was selling, all of a sudden I was front and center and people weren't making fun of me, they were listening. So I got some fulfillment and some gratification out of that. The second thing was I quickly realized that I could move people. I could persuade people who were not interested and after a little bit of time, get them to say, okay, and write me a check. And that was pretty cool for an 18 year old to walk in somewhere and have people be shut down and not interested and get them to come around to my way of thinking without being forceful, without being high pressure, without doing any of the things that crappy salespeople did. So that was pretty cool. And I loved the money. (laughs) So it liberated me. I think for a lot of people who are struggling financially, I always say that sales is the best skills you can develop to change your financial situation. But it seems like those, as quoting you, the crappy salespeople, seem to get all the attention and become the stereotype of what is a salesperson. Could you identify a bit of what is labeled as a crappy salesperson and why that is not regarded as the standard? Sure. So you mentioned my company, Objective Management Group, and we have assessed and evaluated almost 2.2 million salespeople at this point. So we have some pretty rich and powerful and compelling data on those 2.2 million salespeople. And they kind of break down like this. There's a top 5% who are really, really good. And then there's another 15% who are pretty strong. And then there's everybody else. And then the next 30% are serviceable, but they're only serviceable if they're in the right job. Like, If they're selling capital equipment to the C-suite, they're not serviceable. But if they're selling industrial batteries on a distribution route, they'll be fine. 
It's that kind of serviceable. Get them in a role that isn't too difficult, where there isn't too much resistance, and they can pretty much take orders, and they'll be okay. And then the bottom 50% of all salespeople are truly pathetic. They're not well-suited for sales. They don't have selling DNA that'll support sales. They haven't been professionally trained. They don't really know what they're supposed to do. And their concept of selling is to get in front of a prospect, make a presentation and take an order. And they aren't selling by any stretch of the imagination. And it's that group that people have problems with because that's the group where you're going to see the misrepresentation and the lack of ethics and the out and out lying and the false beliefs that if I can tell you what you want to hear, you'll buy from me. Those are the chameleons who just try to be what the prospect is looking for. About seven years ago, I wrote a white paper called The Trust Project and conducted a survey to figure out what it was that people did and didn't trust about salespeople and the types of salespeople they did and didn't trust and the types of scenarios where they would and wouldn't trust. And to make a very long white paper short, women were the least likely to trust salespeople. Automotive salespeople were the least trusted of all salespeople. The most trusted of all salespeople were in industrial sales. And it all comes down to whether or not a salesperson can build and earn trust. And that's a skill. Unfortunately, there are some unethical salespeople who know how to build and earn trust, who shouldn't be trusted. And there are some really good salespeople who are ethical, but who don't know how to build and earn trust. It cuts both ways. But for the most part, the bad reputation that salespeople have comes from an industry that doesn't have any licensing requirements. Anybody can do it. And the bottom 50% are the ones who ruin it for everybody. That makes a lot of sense. And now it's been put into perspective why we have such a negative impression. Because odds are we're going to run into an average or just outright terrible salesperson. You did highlight something I think we should maybe elaborate a bit more on which is the difference between the skills that people have been trained and the sales DNA that you highlighted. How much do you think contributes to a good salesperson? Maybe it's in a percentage person. Is there like a obvious indicator? Cause you know, in your case, you said you're the extreme introvert yet you still managed to find that sales DNA within you. So how much is it skill? How much is it DNA? Well, there's a couple things going on there. First, if it's okay with you, Jason, I need to compliment you on your listening skills. Okay. Cause the DNA, those three letters just went by really quick, but you caught it, you heard it, and you came back to it and you asked me about it. That's what great salespeople do. They have great listening skills and they're not afraid to back up and question somebody about what they did or didn't say. And ironically, circling back to introvert, introverts do that better than extroverts because extroverts just want to talk. And introverts are much more comfortable listening. And I'm not accusing you of being an introvert, but I do want to compliment you on your listening skills. So sales DNA is a combination of strengths that support sales, specifically sales process, sales strategy, sales methodology, 
listening and asking questions, being able to push back and challenge nicely, respectfully. So when sales DNA is positive, when it's strong, it supports a salesperson's ability to do all of those things. And when sales DNA presents as a weakness, it sabotages instead of supports. And that's when we have salespeople who, and you see it in training all the time. You see it in the results of sales assessments and evaluations with people who just cannot under any circumstances talk about money with a prospect. Salespeople who just so desperately need a prospect to like them. And because of that, refuse to ask any tough questions. Don't want to ask anything that could get a prospect to dislike them or not want to do business with them or kick them out. So, you know, and most of the work I do is with B2B, even though we spend time talking about selling knives door to door in people's homes, 99.9% .9 of the clients are B2B clients. And this happens with B2B salespeople. You know, you hear them say, I can't ask that question. I can't ask that many questions. I can't ask them anything personal. I can never ask them where they're going to get the money. So all these deep-rooted beliefs and discomforts are examples of sales DNA that doesn't support selling. And it's really, really important. I was fascinated when I started looking at the statistics for how many of the salespeople, professional salespeople that were asked about like how many times do they follow up on average. And I was astounded by how low those numbers were for the trade. A lot of people have that fear of following up. And maybe I wanted to break down this element of DNA versus this kind of fear of rejection. Like how much of that can be overcome through repetition? Because I mean, I remember my first time doing some, there weren't cold calls. There were people making inquiries and I was calling them back. And like the first time I remember I was shaking like crazy. And then I read the first line of the script and the person just said like, yeah, thanks. And hung up on me. And I was like, my boss walked in. And for those who see me on YouTube, I'm very pasty white. So you can imagine how red I would turn when I was embarrassed. And my boss is like, what's going on? And I felt like I was dying, right? And then I just realized that doing it a couple times. Then I got into the groove of it. I realized not everybody's out to get me. I have something of value. I can serve them. So that fear of rejection went out over time. So do you have a balance of where that one plays versus just the DNA that they'll never get over that fear? Yeah, that rejection piece is part of sales DNA. There are six major things that make up sales DNA. One of them's, and we don't look at fear of rejection as much as we look at how long it takes someone to recover from being rejected because there is no selling without rejection. You know, they're by and large not rejecting people. They're rejecting the interruption, the timing, the offer, the pitch, the price, the product. But how long does it take a salesperson to get back on the phone or get in front of that next prospect before they're okay? You know, if it's a couple seconds or a couple minutes, that's okay. But if it's a couple hours or a couple days or a couple weeks, that's not okay. So rejection's a big deal. How much they need to be liked, how comfortable they are talking about money, the way they make a purchase for themselves. And if they need to shop around and look for the best price and think it over, and they think $50, $50 in any currency is a lot of money, then they accept that kind of belief and behavior from their prospects and their overall collection of beliefs 
all of those things make up sales DNA along with how easily they get emotional and find it difficult to stay in the moment, be right here, right now. Because back to listening skills, if they aren't in the moment, right here, right now, if they're thinking about something that already happened, if they're thinking about what's going to happen next, they're not here and now and they can't listen effectively. And if you can't listen, you can't ask the next question. That's been probably that last thing you mentioned is the one that I've had to personally work on the most to consciously nurture that as a skill. Because yeah, your mind maybe at least I know for me, it would race all over, especially if I'm doing interviews, because to me doing interviews is very similar to a sales process. And exactly. My goal of the sale is to, you know, extract the most amount of knowledge that's valuable for all the listeners and to be present in the moment. But sometimes I'd be like, okay, I need to think of the next question or, okay, what did he say? So I can recap it correctly. But fascinatingly enough, the more I am present and I just listen, it almost comes to me naturally. And so going at that kind of dynamic, I was going to say, when you do assessments and you evaluate, let's say I'm someone that's trying to understand how I can be better in sales. Are there specific things that you would encourage somebody to start working on to improve their sales, knowing that they want to make an effort to move to that top tier? Well, there's a lot of stuff you can work on to get better. OMG measures 21 sales core competencies, and each of those core competencies has six to 12 attributes. So quick math is around 250 things that you can do better, right? But you have to start somewhere. So sales process is the best place to start. If you aren't following a structured, staged, milestone-centric, customer-centric sales process, then you're winging it. There is no other way to put it. You're either following a process or you're winging it. Winging it works sometimes, but it works when the timing is right and the product is right. It's more because of luck. When you're following a process, that will get you predictable results. And a good sales process builds on itself. Everything is sequenced perfectly so that the order of events is logical and it ties in with how people buy. So that's the first thing. Make sure you're following a sales process. The second thing is understand what the most important events in a sales process are. The single most important milestone in a sales process happens in the second stage, and it's uncovering a prospect's compelling reason to buy what you sell and to buy it from you. If you don't uncover that, you have no leverage. You have no clue as to what to recommend to them. You have no clue as to what will resonate with them. So everything starts and ends with their compelling reason to buy from you. And third, they absolutely have to be thoroughly qualified. Salespeople shy away from qualification, but there's six to 12 qualifying events that have to take place in the sales process. And if you don't have a thoroughly qualified prospect, then you'll get to closing and all that stuff is going to come back to bite you and you'll end up chasing a cold prospect that you can't get back to the phone. So there's 250 things. I pointed out three, but those three are good places to start. And certainly if you get my book, Baseline Selling, everything's in there. 
we're definitely going to be including a copy of that book link right into the show notes. So definitely look at the show notes in the bonus area. You'll see we'll have a link to baseline selling so you can grab a copy yourself and go deeper into the subject because it is a big subject to go down. I mean, these are professional you know, careers. You can get much more sophisticated. But for those who are small business owners, like a lot of people that listen to this podcast are at the beginning stages. And so you're talking about sales process. Can you give us an idea of what that would look like at the beginning stages as a minimum viable process, we could say, so that people could be like, okay, I at least have this structure as opposed to my winging it ad hoc. Let's talk generically what a baseline selling friendly process would look like. The first stage is getting a first meeting. And whether that first meeting is virtual over video, a phone meeting or face-to-face -face meeting, it's still a first meeting. So the milestones to get that first meeting would be that at some point you connected by phone, had a conversation, identified some issue that you could help with and schedule a meeting. So that's the completion of the first stage. The second stage is all about discovery. So it's about making sure they need what you have, making sure they have a compelling reason to buy it, to buy it from you, making sure you've differentiated yourself from everybody else and you've monetized or quantified the opportunity. So you know if it's a problem that they have and that's their compelling reason, you understand the consequences and the cost of the problem. And now you've completed the second stage. You have a legit prospect. The third stage is to qualify. So you need to know they're committed to solving their problem and doing something with somebody. You need to know they'll spend more money to do it with you because you don't want to get in a price situation where they just want the lowest price. That's a race to the bottom. You might win some business, but you'll lose it as soon as somebody else has a better price. So they've got to be willing to spend more money with you. You must be with decision makers. You need to know their decision making process, their decision making criteria. You need to know their timeline. And at that point, you've got to make a decision that it's a good fit for you and a good fit for them. So now you've completed the qualification stage. And the last stage is where you'll present and close. So this is where you can talk about your capabilities. This is where you can talk about your value. This is where you can talk about what you're recommending to them. This is where you can do a proposal or a quote. And this is where you can close. And if you did all the things that happened prior to closing, well, the close just happens. And if you didn't do all that stuff that happens prior to the close, you're going to have to force it. And 78% of all salespeople absolutely suck at closing. So you'll have a prospect that thinks it over and you'll be chasing them into perpetuity until you finally give up on them. Does that help? Oh, no, that's very helpful. And, you know, I always make the example actually on the closing side that it's like, it's not about exactly which knee you put down and how high you hold the ring and which tone of voice you have to ask, will you marry me? It's all the qualifications and the prospecting you've done before to make sure that it is the right person and you know that they're interested to say yes in a marriage proposal, which is a sales process. Exactly. And in baseline selling, the final closing question is simply, do you want my help? So think about all the things that had to have happened in your conversations to get to that point where do you want my help will get a yes. So it won't work on its own. You can't just have a conversation and then say to somebody, do you want my help? Things have to happen in a certain way to give you the right to say, so 
would you like my help? And they'll say yes if you did everything right prior to asking that question. Dave, I absolutely love the conversation with you. Talking sales is all I would do with you for a long time. But I wanted to see, for someone who's listening to this, because you know we're trying to see if we're really cut out for sales here. Oh, you have listeners. That's even better. Sometimes. <laughs> and what I wanted to point out is I listen to this conversation and this is music to my ear. If somebody's listening to this conversation and they're like, oh, sales just doesn't seem like it's my cup of tea, maybe similarly to how you were before you joined that knife company, would you have any words to say to the person who's a reluctant salesperson that might still have hope of being good and enjoying it? Yeah, there's a few things I would say. I recorded a five minute video on why sales is the perfect career to go into and it's got all the answers in it so after we're done i'll send you the link to that video and that's what they want to listen to because it's got the information nobody ever talks about like in high school they have career night and they have 87 and a half occupations that you could show interest in and they never list sales it's a secret we don't talk about it. It's taboo. <laughs> uh, but sales is a very great, honorable, lucrative profession. I think it's one of those secret professions, as you mentioned, that unlocks so much. And, you know, it fascinates me is looking at the statistics as major CEOs usually come from sales and marketing and ends up being where it develops you into having much more power, much more control, much more influence and impact on the world because you're having the ability to move people. Dave, this was a fantastic conversation. I'll make sure for everybody listening, we will have a link to that video so you can dive deeper into the world of sales guided by Dave Gerlin here. And if you notice, we've talked about why we have maybe this negative association It's because it's true. The majority of people of sales are actually not that good. And so don't make your full impression of what sales is until you've had a chance to encounter those 15% of people that are actually good. And when you start doing that, you start realizing, hey, sales is actually a thing I can do better. And if you're a small business owner, if you learn from the good examples, you might start loving it too. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt and realize that it is a beautiful process of moving people towards getting your help because you know you can truly serve them and be of value to them. We've talked about some initial things you can start developing. I would say that sales process that Dave walked us through is probably the most essential thing you do. So do you have a system? Do you have key points? Mark those down. And then at least for everybody who goes through interactions with you, you know where they're going, where their lands, and you can replicate that process and be a little bit more systematic in the way that you sell. Are you cut for being a salesperson? It's a little bit of skills development, a little bit of overcoming your fear of sales or rejection. But if in your DNA, you can get over that rejection, get back on your feet and really be able to go and make more conversations, impact more people's life, realizing that they're not rejecting you. As Dave said, it's usually timing, product pricing, but it's not you. You go out there and do your best. So Dave, once again, fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show. And for all of you listeners, I'm hoping you're starting to love sales even more after you learn more about this amazing profession. Thanks for inviting me, Jason. It was great talking with you. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.